Welcome to Insights. This is Paul Ellis, Managing Director of Ellis Wealth Management, where we encourage you to invest in what you love. Ellis Wealth Management is an independent financial services firm focused on planning, advice, coaching, and investment management. We are dedicated to the families we serve, and we encourage you to invest in what you love. Within Insights, we look at ways to make our world richer through focusing on sharing, and developing human capital. Well, all right. What a great day it is in the beautiful Pacific Northwest. And uh, welcome to Insights. I have with us a good friend, Scott Tupper. Scott, how are you doing today? Doing great, Paul. Good to hear from you. Good to hear your voice as well. Scott, um, you were born here in Washington State, but you were raised in Georgia. Um, you came back. You came back to the Puget Sound in 2013. Uh, and we're setting up a startup with your brother, Paul. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Paul is out here um, working in a nonprofit. He just finished a master's program at UW, and having uh, been born here and, uh, you know, kind of spent some summers visiting the grandparents, I thought this place seems like it has a lot of action in the startup scene. I'm interested in high-end food and bev. Uh, Atlanta's come leaps and bounds in the eight years since I've left, but for a guy who's an entrepreneur in the coffee space, this is the ground zero that I, I chose to, to start in. And you snuck that in. Now, I was gonna I was gonna say you are the owner of Onda Origins, where your specialty is uh, in roasting uh, coffee, but you've taken it to an entirely different level, and you have an entirely different business model which I find really, really fascinating. Um, you're going to do a better job explaining it than I am. So if you would uh, share with us Onda Origins, your coffee, and your model, if you would. Yeah, for sure. So when Paul and I linked back up in Seattle, he was already getting the early signs of burnout from the nonprofit space. Um, and he worked at a fabulous organization here in the Puget Sound, but he just really wanted to do something that would have an inherent uh, business sustainability model to it, uh, meaning, you know, getting into the for-profit space. And I um, really wanted to work in, you know, startups as well. And I wasn't so drawn in by the tech startups initially. Uh, I would go to all the events and everything here in Seattle, but Born here in Washington State, but you were raised in Georgia. Um, you That's came back. Correct. You came back to the Puget Sound in 2013, uh, and we're setting up a startup with your brother Paul. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Paul is out here um, working in a nonprofit. He just finished a master's program at UW, and having uh, been born here, and uh, you know, kind of spent some summers visiting the grandparents, I thought. This place seems like it has a lot of action in the startup scene. I'm interested in high-end food and bev. Uh, Atlanta's come leaps and bounds in the eight years since I've left. But for a guy who's an entrepreneur in the coffee space, this is the ground zero that I, I chose to, to start in. 
and you snuck that in. Now I was gonna I was gonna say you are the owner of Onda Origins, where your specialty is uh, in roasting uh, coffee, but you've taken it to an entirely different level, and you have an entirely different business model, which I find really really fascinating. Um, you're going to do a better job explaining it than I am. So if you would uh, share with us Onda Origins, your coffee, and your model, if you would. Yeah, for sure. So when Paul and I linked back up in Seattle, he was already getting the early signs of burnout from the nonprofit space. Um, and he worked at a fabulous organization here in the Puget Sound, but he just really wanted to do something that would have an inherent uh, business sustainability model to it, uh, meaning, you know, getting into the for-profit space. And I um, really wanted to work in, you know, startups as well. And I wasn't so drawn in by the tech startups initially. Uh, I would go to all the events and everything here in Seattle, but I really wanted to work with a product that was accessible to everyone and that had the ability to impact consumers. So retrospectively, Paul and I had both uh, spent time living abroad and working in the tropics, him in Central America, myself in Polynesia. And let's see, he was doing more agroforestry, ecotourism type work, and I was doing more international development, smallholder farmers, um, climate adaptation type work. But the common thread was we were on the ground in some very small communities surrounded by very small farmers who had export-worthy products. So in my case, in Samoa, you're talking about coconuts. And for Paul, uh, in the cloud forest of Costa Rica, he was surrounded by coffee farmers. And we just got really stuck on this idea that these products have become decommoditized on the consumer front. But if you look at what's happening on the farm level, there's really little change from a system that was established by way of colonialism, um, you know, three, sometimes 400 years ago. And unsurprisingly, that is a huge demotivator for young people in farming. Uh, and pulling on Paul's background a little bit, the more ability you have to keep land in the hands of smallholders the more likely you are to encourage high level of stewardship of that land and really a high level of um, community value for that land. Mm. So we said, you know what? We're in Seattle. You know some coffee farmers already. Um, I speak Spanish, so why don't we just get on the horn with some of these people and ask them, what they think about what the right way to have a business model in coffee would be. And I'll stop myself uh, in just one second here, but to, you know, cut to the, to the ending and we're going to get a lot more into the details here, I'd imagine Paul, but we launched Honda Origins in 2016 uh, semi-formally, let's say. So we were working out of a garage in Georgetown and we built the brand on the promise of extremely high quality and high impact coffee with full traceability to the farmers and a revenue share model whereby the farmers are getting a piece of the action from every sale that we ever generate. 
Oh, so whether wow. that's a bag of coffee at Whole Foods or if it's a cup of coffee at our cafe in Southeast Seattle, Hillman City, uh, farmers are vertically integrated to the end sale, which really helps divorce them from the commodity market. And I know I'm throwing out a lot of coffee specific terms here, so we can, uh, we can stop and tease those apart a little bit, but it's, uh, it's been a hell of a journey. You know, we're in the world's most saturated specialty coffee market. But we're the only ones doing this true farmer first model. And we've been really lucky to be well received uh, by some, some local fans of the product and are looking to uh, come out of this past year of, of wildness uh, with some growth initiatives. So now I'll, I'll put a pin in it there. So, so this is really interesting. So you take a look at, from, from my vantage point, knowing nothing about how coffee starts from the field to my cup, right? Um, I, I know some basic economics, obviously, but what you what you look and you say, these farmers aren't, once they package their coffee or their coffee beans and they send it, they're out of the loop, right? I mean, they made their money, whatever money they made, there's not another bite of the apple. There's no more additional revenue Correct. from that. Um, thank you for the bag of coffee, um, and we'll come back next year and get another bag of coffee. I mean, that's 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 a basic, normal revenue model for for growers sending their coffee. And what you've done is to say, not only are we going to uh, purchase coffee from you, but we're going to, as the markup moves from the field to the cup uh, or to the experience, shall I say we're going to give you a profit-sharing component back to you for being part of being part of that. Do, do I have that correct? Yeah, you nailed it. You, you don't sound like you know nothing at all about coffee. So that's, that's exactly what it is. A traditional value chain in coffee will have between 7 and 12 actors, like so actual owners of the asset along the journey to the final cup. Um, so you can imagine the amount of dilution uh, in a top-down model that forces price, negative price energy onto farmers. Mm-hmm. Um, so by, by tying them to end market value, we are helping decolonize the system that has stuck them at often unprofitable uh, cost of production on the farm for many years and many generations. And the upside for us is we get the pick of the litter from some of the best coffees in the world because people really want to work with us. And that then translates to a more delightful experience for our customers, uh, better wages, not only for the farmers, but for any field hands that they're hiring to help with picking during the time of harvest. Uh, and many, many solid infrastructure projects, micro-infrastructure projects on the farms themselves. And we can talk about some case studies where where we've seen our model working uh, in this triple bottom line initiative and, and how people are actually benefiting from this materially because of the model that we've introduced to coffee. So it really sounds to me like an en- enlightened capitalist structure. In other words, you get to participate in the process, Right. Um, that's right. You're not closed out of the process. You're you're in the process, right? There, that's that real partnership 
uh, component there. And then the farmers who get paid more money, I mean, evidently they're, they're going to receive, you know, the first part of the money is up front uh, for their for their commodity, right, their goods. Mm-hmm. And then they're participating along the way. And that additional revenue can then be reinvested into their lands or their communities, or they can choose to um, upgrade their facilities or their tools, right? That's and, right. And uh, tools including, you know, part of, you know, who their staff are and how things are being yeah. run. So you end up providing even a better organization to work with uh, than you did to begin with. Yep. And, uh, you know, you said they can choose what to invest in, and that's a really operative uh, set of set of words for how this goes, because we're, we're very interested in the concept of agency or having, having the ability to decide for oneself what the best use of your time and your cash and your land is. Um, and we've seen it manifest in a bunch of different ways across our supply chain, which I think now touches 10 or 11 countries. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's, it's really, it's really cool to, to see people just by being formally included in the, in the actual business model of coffee and to shine a little bit of light on the unit economics of how it works historically out of a cup of coffee that you're buying at a Seattle cafe for four bucks. Usually a farmer gets about five cents of the value share there. Um, so we're talking about one to 3% value capture on the final market value. Whereas with Onda, a, in a pound of coffee, let's say, that we'll turn around and sell out of our cafe for 17 bucks, uh, a farmer is usually getting about a third of the value share there. Nice. And of course, that's having an impact. You know, you're having an impact on the community back in, you know, these 10 to 11 other countries, right? Absolutely. I'll, um, a, a very, actually, Paul, I, I mentioned, I texted you before this and said, hang on one sec, I'm dealing with our supplier in Guatemala. Uh, her name is Yvonne Herrera. She is a total badass entrepreneur, late 20s, raising a kid by herself, going to clinical nutrition school when she can fit it into her schedule and managing a farm. And one of the things Yvonne started doing once we got to work together was investing in the micro community around her farm and running uh, what she calls Jornadas Medicales because she has this clinical nutrition education and process. And her dad is a doctor, a little small town doctor in Guatemala uh, who operates a couple of pharmacies. So they've launched Jornadas Medicales means uh, medical workshops, like free, come, come get a check-in. Let's, you know, something hurting. Are you feeling a little bit under the weather? Whatever it is. We're going to set up a tent in the main square and invite everybody. And for the cost of three ninety nine, uh, we will run, you know, basic check-ins or checkups for, for everybody who wants to come through. They always have a line that stretches for a couple of hours. They always find a bunch of things that are preventable or, or you know, easy enough to make adaptations to make people really start to feel better day by day if you don't have access to proper medicine. Um, and then if there are major issues, you're now screening and catching them earlier than you would have. And by being able to work 
with Yvonne, Onda's revenue share has helped fund some of those projects and and really give her the ability to ingratiate herself to you know a sainthood level with that small community and start to give people access to better medicine. It's also good business for them because now, of course, Dr. Herrera, her father, uh, has people who are starting to build trust in in the local doctor and the local pharmacy, which is his business. And all of a sudden, you just have this very gradual uplift in quality of life and access. And what's fascinating about this is all the good that's being done doesn't impact the price of coffee for the for the end user, right? I mean, they're buying a pound of coffee, and it's uh, between seventeen and twenty dollars, if I've got yep. that right. And you can certainly pay more than that uh, elsewhere. So you know, it's not the cost is not being rolled onto the consumer, but it's having an, a a major impact on the on the people and that are providing the, the the coffee yeah it's um we paul and i took a long hard look in the mirror as we were getting started and made the brand decisions to live in the space of specialty coffee and think of that as an analog to craft beer like the higher end side of the market um you know more micro roasting, more attention to detail, more special releases, more seasonal offerings, et cetera. And we look at the margin structure around us and we said, okay, if we go try to match, you know, on a percentage basis, the margin of these other local roasters, uh, we're going to wind up having to charge 25, 30 bucks a bag. But if we're okay trying to scale this thing and just grind it out, by being diligent on you know our side of the business and and still share the revenue, we're going to start to have an opportunity to grab a little bit more market share by not pricing ourselves out of the you know everyday consumer accessibility. Mm-hmm. And, and that was really important to us because on the other side of this, we have consumers who see it as a luxury to come in and spend four and a half bucks on a coffee. Um, and and I don't want to be charging them ten dollars for that coffee if I can avoid it. I want them to come every day. I want them to buy into the product, buy into the mission. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's getting there. <laughs> well, this is, this is amazing. And I'm, and, and I know that for myself and for others, knowing that they can participate, um, you know, that they're, they're a active slash passive participator when they purchase your coffee. Um, that, that's, that's excellent. Um, mm-hmm. you know, people are going to ask the question and rather than hold it on to the end, let's ask now where, if someone wants to purchase, uh, coffee from you and p- help participate in, in this, ha- what's the best way to do it? Yeah. Well, if you're local, we'd love to see you down in Hillman city. So we're on 5,600 Rainier Avenue South. Um, that's basically just over near Stewart park for those who aren't familiar with Southeast Seattle. I think that's the best way to experience the brand because you'll see my silly face uh, serve you a latte on Mondays and Wednesdays, or you'll get any number of our awesome staff uh, to interact with you. And you'll really see what it's all about firsthand, especially once we're able to open our doors fully, uh, which is going to be soon. And the other way for those of you who are listening from, you know, further afield is 
ondaorigins.com. And that's O-N-D-A origins.com. Excellent. Excellent. Now, can they subscribe? Do you have a, they can obviously purchase coffee, but if they're a real um, coffee connoisseur and they want to try from different countries, uh, can they, mm-hmm. can, can they do that through you? Yeah, we, we call our monthly subscription mailer the Coffee Passport because it gives you a different look into the world of coffee, quite literally, um, every month. So you'll get a new bag from a different origin every month. And it's something that we've had a lot of fun building out and curating to reflect the amazing varieties of coffee that are out there. I think so often in a market like Seattle, we have this focus on espresso and I'm, I'm about to get a little bit coffee nerdy here, but um, the, the marketing behind these like Italian styled blends and the, you know, the, the big green mermaid type uh, coffees is we have a roast master. They and they alone know better than you about what, uh, what you like consumer. And you're going to get this blend and you're going to get this blend every day for the rest of your life. And many times that blend is great. Uh, many times it's not. But what we've found is people have genuine curiosity. And if COVID's shown us anything, the curiosity to explore from the comfort of their own home. So that's what that's what our little coffee passport does. It sends you a new bag that we've curated every month, and it's just it's a really fun way to start to understand and fiddle with even on you know your home drip machine. Uh, what is the difference between a natural processed Burundi coffee, a honey processed uh, Costa Rican coffee, and a washed Guatemalan processed coffee? And just start to, to dive into that educational wormhole that can really last a lifetime because I still learn more about coffee every day. Nice. Really nice. Well, this model that you have, um, you know, you're growing by leaps and bounds and, and – uh, you're developing uh, relationships with more and more individuals in more and more countries. This comes from somewhere. So let me ask, who's been the biggest or what's been the biggest influence on your life? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I'm incredibly lucky to have the relationship that I have with my brothers. And so I started it with Paul and then we hired our our little brother, Zach. Um, So I think, I think I would, answer that with an unspecific family is the biggest influence on on my life um i've always been kind of the risk taker out of the brothers um but something happened in 2009 that really taught us the value of just kind of reaching for the brass ring and that was our mom getting what at the time we believed to be a terminal cancer diagnosis and I was just starting college at that time. Um, Paul was somewhere in the middle of college, I guess. And Zach was in high school. And all of a sudden, you just, you have one of those moments where you say, okay, everything is temporary. Uh, it could, your number could come up tomorrow. So if there's something you want to do with your life, you have to go for it. Mm-hmm. And our mom forced that ethos upon us. Uh, <laughs> Even even to the point of discomfort, I had you know planned to go study a broad trip, and I was super scared to pull the trigger on it. And she's like, "Scott, you go do that. I'll be right here when you get back." Nice. And I think 
that's um and she is by the way she is right here <laughs> so um i don't know I, we're super duper lucky to have a very tight-knit family uh it obviously comes with its own ups and downs when you're you know stickering coffee bags at midnight in a garage in georgetown in 2016 <laughs> i'm bartending at the time Paul is still commuting uh, via bike and ferry boat to Bainbridge Island every day. Mm. And we're trying to launch this thing that's creating no material impact for ourselves at, this, at that point in its journey. <laughs> and it's like, why are we volunteering at this thing that <laughs> we thought was going to help us get somewhere? But you stick it out and, uh, and eventually things start to fall in place. So what are some of those unique skills, you know, that helped you become successful while you're while your brother's pedaling and, and you're doing the late night work there, what what would you say some of those unique skills are? I always pick up the phone um, and I've noticed because once you start something, you get to meet a, a lot of other interesting self-starters. Um, and I've noticed there's a, there's a high incidence of success correlated to having your head up and looking around and saying, okay, that could be an opportunity or, you know, maybe that thing that the other companies in our space aren't doing is something we should really lean into and focus on. Um, so I've, I've just, I've gotten to know a lot of really fascinating people and, and take inspiration from them because of the entrepreneurial journey. And I always try to remind myself when I'm stuck in a rut that it, it takes getting outside of your own four walls and your own comfort zone to learn from someone who's done something really amazing with their time on earth. Um, and you know, no, no challenge is insurmountable if you are creative enough about it and dedicated enough to, to figuring it out. So what you're really, what, what I'm taking from that is, is um, what the heck, why not see what happens? For sure. Right? I mean, if you're the one picking up the phone, there's not a message that's getting lost in between, right? Uh, mm -hmm. If your head is up, you always see an opportunity. You can have a chance to see the opportunity yourself and not necessarily rely on somebody else to try and tap you on the shoulder and say, here's an opportunity or, or what have you. You get to see that yourself. So being self-aware uh, and expanding that vision has provided you the opportunity to see where others are not. Yep. I, I like to think from a quality and product standpoint, we're laser focused. And from an opportunity and roadmap to success standpoint, our aperture is as wide as, as it possibly can be. And of course, sometimes those things can be at odds. Uh, you know, if, if I'm taking a call with a guy, which is a real situation from our backstory, who wants to open a, uh, cafe, roastery, and vinyl record shop on the second floor of an office building in Guatemala City. Um, is that pulling me away from something I really should be focusing on in Seattle? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and absolutely, sometimes it is. But sometimes those calls lead to an introduction that leads to an introduction that leads to, who knows, you know, your, your next uh, great partnership, uh, the, the next real estate opportunity for the business, the next whatever it is. So I, I really enjoy that part of it. 
I love this laser focus with wide aperture. I mean, I love that. I love that. I'm going to have to use that again. I'll give you credit, though. I'll give you credit, but I, <laughs> but I, but I love that. Now, you also, by taking these phone calls, um, you know, you're looking for an opportunity. Is this a win-win? Right. So let's talk about creating this winning atmosphere for the real stakeholders. Um, that's what you're doing with the farmers, and that's what you're doing as you're taking in these calls. How do you do that, and how do you get them to see the importance of what you're doing? Those are two separate questions, right? So, yeah, how we do it, I think, comes down to believing in the power of human capital. Um, so the people who you're on the phone with or the, the, you know, maybe the guests at your cafe who for whatever reason has been coming in for the exact same espresso at the exact same minute for a year uh, has something more to offer than just the, the transaction um, of, of, of the actual cup of coffee. And then that, that applies to hiring as well, which is not an easy thing for any startup business. Um, and it hasn't been, you know, easy for us either, but it's, it's super important to us. So creating alignment within your organization so that all people have, um, all the stakeholders there are happy, fulfilled, um, getting paid, etc. cetera, uh, is, is one part of the equation. But then also realizing that there's other stakeholders too. Maybe your landlord could be your next investor. Right. Mm -hmm. Maybe you can tie up to someone who's going to open several locations uh, of ground floor retail over the next five years. And wouldn't that be a better way to go than a traditional landlord who's simply looking for, you know, rent on the first and not going to be involved in the upside? Of course it is. But I think that that stuff is just trial and error. You, you kind of have to just go take shots and, and learn from every mistake you make. And then when you, do something right. Ask yourself, well, what did we do right there? Because there's no formula. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and then I don't remember the second part of the question. Well, how do you get them to see the importance of what you're doing? Right. So, you know, there's a stakeholder. You're you, it's a in order to have a win win, you need to win and they need to ha perceive the win as well. Mm -hmm. Right. And mm -hmm. how do you get them to see the importance of your doing of of what you're doing, right? So other stakeholders that may be looking at, at, um, Onda and saying, you know, how, how do we participate in this? And at the same time, uh, the importance of it, right? Yeah. Well, one thing, Paul, is just the material upside component. So my brother and I, I think we're smart in the way that we structured Onda, which was, in order to be able to, to scale it. So most little family food and bev businesses will be um, an LLC or a sole proprietorship. And while that uh, gives you a better shake on taxes in your early years and gives you um, a little bit less complexity from an administrative workload and, and reporting workload side, it also limits your ability to enter into high growth initiatives and, um, and, and to be involved at tables that the, the littler, um, I mean, we're a family business, but w when you think about your corner cafe or whatever, 
there's tables you get invited to and there's tables you don't get invited to. And I think um, a lot of it has to do with being able to convey a higher scalability, a higher impact, a higher, um, you know, mission. Like we're, we're going towards something here. And that is only effective in so much as you are structured to uphold that growth and offer some de- some degree of success to any partner that you take on, be that an employee or an investor or a farm partner or whomever it may be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. Thanks for, I know it was a little more of a difficult question, uh, but I, I appreciate your answering that. And, you know, again, you know, the thing that I find really fascinating is like you said, there's there hasn't been a roadmap. Nobody gave you this roadmap and said, "Oh, here are the five steps to do this." Right? Here are mm-hmm. the here are the ten people you need to call right now. Uh, you looked up and said, "Hey, here's an opportunity. We'd like to do things different. We'd like to have a different model, and um, let's take a look at what we have, skill wise." knowledge wise you know our our uh, our language skill and experience and what can we build from this and make it make it ours and i think you've done yep. an absolutely fabulous job and you're going to continue to do a fabulous job um you know so i'm i'm excited to see the sky's the limit i'm looking forward to seeing more and more of your success uh, a couple questions on uh as as we uh i know that you're really really busy and you've uh you were so gracious to take time out of your busy day between international calls to to speak with us today. Outside of work, Scott, what do you, I know that you work all the time, but outside of work, what are you curious about right now? That's a great question. I um I haven't even well, this I'm I'm not really answering properly because I'm interested in other entrepreneurial activities. <laughs> um, I'm I'm super interested in the new normal. And how we can help from a technology standpoint, SMBs like Owned Origin thrive and compete. We've seen this massive shift of power over the past year as far as where purchases are being funneled. Um, and the upshot of that is going to be a Walmart effect type thing where local stores close, be yeah. that a cafe or a little restaurant or a you know, a bodega with, you know, assorted goods. Once, once people are hooked on ordering, uh, you know, every single product through the internet and having it delivered in 14 seconds flat to their door, that's an existential threat to Main Street. And mm-hmm. I really want to see Main Street get creative mm-hmm. and get scrappy and fight back. So I, so, okay. So there's a work type answer outside of that. Um, I have pipe dreams about basketball all the time. It's my favorite sport. I'm routinely re-injuring my knee when I go and uh, play with my brothers. Um, I want to see what it takes to get the Sonics back to Seattle. I think you could have some really creative models whereby it's either fan partially owned, a la Green Bay Packers. I, I think you could have some... Uh, player equity type discussions that could get really interesting really quickly. Many players uh, don't participate in the upside of the pro sports league that they're involved in. 
In fact, you look no further than, than the GOAT. Michael Jordan has seen his net worth increase tenfold since becoming an owner of the Charlotte Hornets. Mm-hmm. And that's the guy who is universally accepted as the greatest basketball player of all time, um, has the lifetime Jordan-Nike arrangement. Mm-hmm. Guy makes a lot of money, but until he was an owner of this, machine that he you know was an employee at for so many years uh he was his cap was was lower than it is now he's really uh in his own words i think made the ceiling the roof or whatever he said at unc a few years ago mm-hmm, mm-hmm. no i mean so I, yeah that's some totally off the wall stuff but that's what i'm interested in <laughs> well no i think one thing leads to another you know i think rivers yeah. you know rivers merge and move to oceans right i mean yeah. uh you know, I, I think that, I think that that's terrific. And you you said something. I just want to take a little minute on. Uh, you said SMBs. I'm. What do you do? You mean small to medium sized businesses by that statement? What is, I do, yeah. And, and and because of my you know life right now, I'm I'm ultra focused and inquisitive about the ones who are in quick serve restaurant type settings. So, so your your local juice bar, um, brewery donut shop, whatever it is. So, so let me just share this with you. I mean, it, it, I think this is fascinating that, that the, there's experience in addition to consuming a product, right? And I, mm-hmm. in, in my view, the, the, the greatest companies are able to merge those two, right? So if you go to an Apple store, um, one of the things that made an Apple store absolutely fabulous is um, the experience of walking in. You know, they let you play mm-hmm. and play or test or you, you know, uh, see uh, the computers. Right. Um, yep. and, and they made it fun. You know, they, they didn't speak to you in computer speak. So, you know, everyone from my mom to, to me to a, a, a person who writes code could go in and enjoy themselves. Right. Um, yep. Now local guitar shops or local music shops it used to uh when i was growing up you could go and you'd go to you know the guitar center or american music or whatever and you could go and you could see the guitars and you could play the guitars and you could spend some Mm -hmm. time playing the guitars but you also met other musicians there and so you could talk about, I like this, I like that, you know, and, and you get to feel these different instruments and your knowledge yeah. would increase. You'd save up your money and you'd go buy the more expensive <laughs> item. But yeah. buy, just buying it on Amazon or buying it on the web without actually being able to to play it, to see how it fits in your hand, um, you, you know, all of those types of things really reduces the entire experience and enjoyment of you know, for, for somebody who's new uh, to music to really growing when it comes to coffee, yeah. when it comes to coffee in the coffee shop, you know, people like having their coffee in the morning or in, you know, maybe after dinner, but there's something really beautiful about sitting in a coffee shop, the noises, mm-hmm. the, you know, the, uh, the entire atmosphere, uh, the break that you notice from stepping from the curb inside different world right absolutely the uh the goose with the golden eggs that we're always chasing is the notion of affinity so 
if we can have a customer go beyond the functional benefit of caffeine and beyond even the the third space type feeling of you know not office uh not home somewhere else to be (laughs) and really start to engage in community engage in curiosity and engage in your brand and why you poured over building this thing in a garage in georgetown for several years that is a customer who's very unlikely to leave you and actually it's something um paul you you really touched on uh with the music example you lose that when you're buying from generic xyz company whatever the product is Mm -hmm. um and we're at a point in time right now in the world where the digital world and the physical world merged. They just did. Um, and the SMBs are ill-equipped to handle that merger without help. So one thing, I'll have to have you down in the shop. One thing we rolled out, when you and I met, we had this developer partner who was building a blockchain traceability system for coffee. And we successfully did that, by the way. Um, excellent, excellent. I, I leaned into his skills. The guy's name is Dan. Um, and that, that little sister company is called Yave. And I said, Dan, uh, tracing coffee is great. We're doing it well here at Onda. Um, there are several other companies interested in and using our platform. But what if we could help the thousands of small businesses who are struggling with this digital physical merger problem uh, through through your skills and through your tech chops. And so we actually put them to work on building a mobile ordering integration to Onda, which is fully branded. And even in the time of COVID, where we've been serving out of a window for 13 months, I have people who are using this product and transacting with us as a business. And while their latte is being built, they're literally on their phone on the receipt page, reading about the exact farmer who's behind the cup of coffee that they're receiving. Oh, and wow. that is how that is how affinity starts to be built when you when you lose the ability to have that third place type coffee experience. That is amazing. Well, that I, is amazing. Uh, yeah, I'll have, I really have to to have you come try it out. I think you'll like it a lot. Wow. Yes. Let's. I, I definitely. Will, I'll take you up on that. I will. I will take you up on that. Well, listen, my friend. I know that you are really busy. And you were able to squeeze us in between phone calls and meetings today, and I truly, truly appreciate it. Um, you do a wonderful job. And again, why don't you give that address and that website for those who uh, w- want to experience uh, your coffee? Sure thing. So uh, if you want to sign up for a bag of coffee or the subscription, go to ondaorigins.com, O-N-D-A. And then if you're in Seattle, uh, just type it into Google Maps under Origins. We're down near Seward Park in southeast Seattle, 5600 Rainier Ave. Terrific. Well, listen, my friend, thank you very much for your time, and we'll be in touch soon. And I want to encourage, encourage everyone to continue to invest in what you love. <laughs>